Welcome to MLM After Hours on Building Fortunes Radio. You can listen in live to MLM After Hours on the first, third, and fifth Monday if there is one of every month. Or listen anytime in the future by selecting the MLM After Hours broadcast segments on www.buildingfortunesradio.com. Building Fortunes Radio supports our members and everyone looking for their personal level of success in the home-based business industry. Your host for Building Fortunes Radio is Peter Mingle, owner of PM Marketing and Network Lead. On this segment of Building Fortunes Radio, Peter will be introducing you to the MLM After Hours. MLM After Hours is also sponsored by Doris Wood and the MLMIA. The Multi-Level Marketing International Association has been serving the industry for over 28 years, and you can join us on the MLMIA segment every Monday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. The MLM industry has always been confusing and controversial in some areas concerning policies, procedures, rules, regulations, and compliance issues. MLM After Hours will be joined by guest hosts that are familiar with these controversial subjects. Dr. Keith Lego, Len Clements, Mel Atwood, Doris Wood, and other MLM After Hours guests have had their share of experiences and will share their views with us now. So how about it? Let's get this show started. Here's Peter. Hello, everyone. Peter Mingles here. You're listening to Building Fortunes Radio on Monday night on the 1st or 3rd. And if there's a 5th Monday, we do our MLM After Hours radio show and I can share with you sincerely, this is one of my favorite radio shows that we ever do, only because I get a chance to meet some really cool people, very knowledgeable, lots of experiences, difference, differences of opinions, of views, and it's really kind of neat because we have a really special guest on our radio show. As usual, um, we have our regular guest, and then somebody else popped in um, that is going to be our special guest as well, and his name is Kevin Grimes, but we're going to get to the intros in just a little bit. Early, uh, just a little bit. So... We started this as a result of myself and Doris Woods, uh, Doris Wood rather, talking about um, things that were going on with the MLMIA, things that are happening in the industry, and my frustration for no one's really talking about this stuff. Some of you know my previous background was with the Distributor Rights Association, then it became the A&MP, and then after me on the A&MP, it really became a seminar business, and no one was ever willing to really talk about the things that are out there. And I said, well, that's one of the reasons why we're going to do Building Fortunes Radio. So on Building Fortunes Radio, we have a chance to, um, like on the MLM After Hours segment, talk about some of the things that are happening in our industry that I think if you're a distributor and you're trying to really make a go of this, or a company owner making a go of this, or a vendor trying to make a go of this, you really need to have a feeling or an understanding about some of the things that are going on, because I think... There's been a lot of changes, a lot of rumblings, a lot of things are really coming to a head. And it started a couple of years ago, and it's still kind of boiling over right now. And it went from, you know, the stuff that happened with uh, Zeke Rewards and then Telex Free and then also into stuff like what's going on with Vima right now and what may be happening with Herbalife. And there's been a couple of really uh, people on the other side. You know, Robert Fitzpatrick is still very actively pushing things against MLM and some, uh, some you know, college professors. And we've been kind of trying to balance some of that stuff out and uh, having some of them on some of our other radio shows as well. But I want to introduce a really great group of people right here. We're going to talk about some of the stuff that's happening in our industry. And we'll give Kevin a chance to uh, have a spotlight as well because we're really – I don't think we've ever – actually, we've never had him on – this uh, MLM After Hours, so I want to give him some special time as well. Uh, but first, let's go through some introductions, then we're going to do our little disclaimer. So for those people unfamiliar with my voice, even though my voice might sound tired, I'm not. Uh, my name is Peter Mingles. I run a company called PM Marketing. A lot of people know us as network leads, and we've kind of been all over the industry. Next, I'm going to go in the order in which they came in. So let's talk about Mel Atwood. So, Mel, let's tell us a little bit about you, and uh, then we'll get started. 
So, sure, uh, Peter. Um, g- glad to be here. Um, I've been in the space now since uh, the mid '90s, um, and you know, entered more in the direct selling space, and migrated to to more of the multi-level marketing um, uh, profession um, by late, the late '90s, and and have really held uh, various positions throughout the industry, from being a distributor into corporate and into servicing the space and being a consultant, providing technology. And um, and also recently just launched a new website called MLMLegalDocs.com where startup companies can go and get the needed legal documents uh, for the United States. So I really kind of do a lot of different things in the space, but I love the space. I'm, a, I'm an advocate and I'm very, very passionate about, about this industry, and so I'm glad to be here and share my thoughts. Excellent. Next, I brought Carol LeClaire. Carol's over in Canada. She's always our international contingent, and she always shares with us uh, some of the differences between the stuff that Canada does and the stuff that the United States does. So, Carol LeClaire, over to you. Wonderful. Thank you, Peter. I'm delighted to be here. I, I look forward to this show constantly because I love the people that are on it. And, Peter, I love this subject because you're so correct. We talk about things that most other individuals and companies don't really want to talk about, but it affects the industry greatly. Um, I'm a Canadian resident, but my heart is always half American. I've owned and operated a corporate consulting business in Canada called CLC Management for over 30 years. So we've worked with a large number of MLM companies, direct sellers who want to enter the Canadian marketplace. We work very closely with all the compliance issues and and love the industry. you know, we those of us on this call, I think they would call us lifers um, because we love so much that the industry represents. And um, I, I love that we're supporting the things that no one else wants to talk about to try to better the, the networking. Excellent. So thanks, Carol. And then um, I'm not really sure in the order. Oh, it was Michael Linden. So, Michael, thanks for being next. Hey, thank you. Uh, good evening, everybody. Those of you who've heard me before know that I, too, am a passionate advocate of network marketing. I've been around this fascinating industry for, oh, nearly 45 years now, and it never really ceases to amaze and delight me. It amazes me because every now and then some just totally outrageous rogues pop up, and it delights me because there are lots of really good companies out there that provide a fair shake for their distributors. I've built networks on three continents, in Africa, in Asia, not sorry, uh, Europe, and in North America. And I now focus on creating de- uh, training tools for network marketers. And as I said, I'm really glad to be here tonight, and welcome to the call. Excellent. Okay, and then I'm going to go to Len Clement. So, Len? Well, thanks, Peter. Yeah, I've been involved in the business for 26 years now, and um, 10 of them as a uh, successful distributor nine of those ten years I was successful and um, first one wasn't so hot but the uh, and in the last several years pretty much full-time just as a consultant and mostly just doing expert witness uh, jobs got actually have uh, just signed on my sixth active uh, expert witness client today because uh, um, I'm a masochist and 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 oh, having a life. so that's, <laughs> yeah that's so that's what I'm going to be doing 23 hours a day for the next month but um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's what I do. You can go to my website and see uh, uh, things I reported on over a year ago, back when I had time to keep it updated at InsideNM.com. 
But uh, after the new year, I've got plans. It's going to get really active again because I've got a lot of things to say, and I'm tired of not being able to say them. So. That's right. So Len is uh, his website again is insidenm.com, but he's OCD on MLM. I think would be a really great way to talk about Len because he is really on top of a lot of things, does a lot of work, a whole bunch of stuff um, that he doesn't get paid for that we all benefit from this industry. So Len, a lot of people have learned a lot of things from insidenm.com. Look forward to having you um, being able to post more stuff over there. Next, I think, oh, Dr. Roland showed up. So Dr. Roland. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, uh, Peter, and it's a pleasure to be with you all tonight. Uh, I have been fortunate to be a part of this industry uh, for about uh, 18 years, and I started off as a uh, as a distributor, and that's how I was introduced to the industry. And uh, I was a, a 19-year-old uh, kid. I was hungry. I wanted it bad. I wanted what the industry had to offer, uh, and I didn't even know what it had to offer. I just believed that, uh, and I was told by my sponsor that if I – if I wanted to influence people, if I wanted to help people and, and be rewarded for it, and, uh, then this was the place to do it. And and I was uh, I believed them, and it's been one of the best things that happened to me. I grew a lot personally. Uh, it, it helped me tremendously, even in corporate America, and then have been uh, a CEO in the industry uh, since about 2010. So I love the industry, passionate, passionate advocate of entrepreneurship, period. And uh, I think our business model – uh, done right uh, is one of the best entrepreneurial vehicles for the masses today. Agreed, totally. And then I'm going to go a little bit out of order, even though Kevin Grimes was here before Doris would. I'm going to let Doris introduce Kevin after Doris introduces herself. So, Doris, over to you. Good deal. I love that. Uh, I'm Doris Wood, and anybody that wants to know, because I've been in the industry for, let's say, just over 50, over 50 years. Not just over, over 50 years. We don't talk about all the other times and uh, love it. Uh, everybody knows that I believe that MLM means making life meaningful and am pleased to call it uh, multi-level marketing. I have held every position that this industry has ever offered and have won every award that the industry has ever offered from being a newest distributor to chairman of the board. And I really do love, but my biggest joy in this is the people that are on this show. Uh, I am familiar with all of them, and it is really with a great pleasure that uh, Peter and I help pick all of them because of their intellect because of their love for the industry and the other things that they have brought to the show. And I am really, really pleased. Uh, many of you know that we try to uh, have uh, different people come on the show, and there's always some reason that they cannot. So I am really, really pleased. And so that I don't miss anything, Kevin Grimes has been an attorney uh, for probably, to my recollection, over 20 years that I know of, uh, he was a distributor prior to that and and built a large organization as a distributor. And that's why, in my opinion, he is one of the best uh, attorneys in this industry and that it's ever produced. Uh, he has been a member of MLMIA since he, since he first knew about us. 
and has been a speaker and led our panels on distributors for many times. There's just so much, and we could go on and fill up this whole time with talking about Kevin. So I'm going to just say it's really my pleasure to introduce you all to Kevin Grimes that don't know him. And, Kevin, you tell them the things that you're most proud of. <laughs> well, thank you, Doris. Um, I, uh, you know, it's it's an honor that uh, I mean I'm delighted that I know most of the folks who are uh, on the show and I and I know most of them well. And for those those who I don't know well, uh, look forward to uh, to changing that. Um, yeah, like you said, I've I've been in the industry on the attorney side for 23 years. Been practicing law despite my incredibly youthful appearance. Uh, I've been practicing law for a mere 30 years. Wow. Um, <laughs> and you're absolutely right. My introduction to the industry was on the distributor side, uh, first with Niken and then with Amway. And uh, there's no question that having been a distributor, I think, gives uh, anybody uh, a, a tremendous amount of circumspection uh, about this business that you, that you simply don't get if you only work on the corporate side. Um, I've, you know, I, I think I've, I'm closing in on. You know, having worked with close to a thousand, uh, you know, direct selling and network marketing companies uh, over my career, um, from startups to you know some some of the biggest names out there. So it's just it's a delight to be here with all of you. Excellent. We're going to get started. We're going to play our little disclaimer. We'll be right there. The MLM After Hours Radio segment on Building Fortunes Radio is protected by local and international copyright laws. No portion or variation of this show can be duplicated, modified, or reproduced in any format without the express written consent of all parties participating on the MLM After Hours show. More information is available on www.buildingfortunesradio.com. MLM After Hours can provide the helpful information you may use to succeed in the home-based business industry. The entire content of this show consists of the research and experience, the opinions and the views of the callers, guests, and the hosts on this show. It does not constitute legal advice or specific counsel for you, as each individual should always seek individual guidance and counsel for matters related to themselves specifically. Okay, so we're going to get started. For those people unfamiliar with my voice, again, this is Peter Mingles. We're going to kick this off with a couple of topics, and anybody can jump in and give us their opinion. There's been a few things that have happened recently um, that are certainly worth noting, and they're still going on. It's kind of like we're watching history as it's being made. And we started over several weeks ago. We're going to cover a couple of topics today, but there's been a lot of movement, it seems, in all different directions relative to our industry of MLM direct sales, um, Internet marketing, all those types of things. And one of them, of course, was the... Uh, ex parte hearing and shutdown of Vima uh, with the FTC. And um, that started in August. And then we've kind of had the opportunity to be able to handle, you know, like week by week or every other week of what's actually been going on with Vima. And it seems like things have kind of settled out but hit a little bit of a stalemate, if you will, um, that Vima was allowed to um, open up their doors again, but they've hit a stumbling block or an impasse relative to the okay of their compensation plan being approved for their marketing. So um, who wants to give us, if you will, a three or four minute um, uh, synopsis of what happened with Vima and where we are today so we can talk about what's going on for just in case some of those people that might be joining us um, that might not uh, be familiar with the FTC and the Vima action. So does somebody want to jump in and give us a two or three minute uh, or three or four minute synopsis on Vima so far to bring us up to today? I'd like to nominate Len. <laughs> Len, it's your turn. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, nominate the guy that takes the longest and uses the most words to explain something in two or three minutes. That way we know we can always come back and listen again because if it takes you that long to explain, then we know we can be entertained again. Let me say you can omit the part where you were wrong. Okay, so I'm going to give you permission. <laughs> I'll give you permission. Yeah, but the one the distributor one that I thought would be loyal to them that took a corporate position. Okay, but that's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, Vima was uh, going along just fine by 11-year-old company doing 200 million a year, and um, then uh, they got ambushed by a, um, uh, a, a home office raid after they. Um, after the FPC and the judge had an ex parte hearing, which means Zima wasn't even aware the hearing was taking place, let alone there to defend themselves. Uh, they were put under receivership, and the assets were frozen. And um, uh, then for, so it was shut down for 26 days. Then they had a hearing where they had 16 days to basically put up an entire defense that normally would have taken probably a, a month or years and um, with frozen assets and uh, ended up, essentially going from the gallows to probation with an ankle bracelet. Uh, they, because uh, uh, the FEC wanted them dead, and instead they got the receiver removed. The assets uh, uh, were unfrozen. They're still under an injunction with a, um, uh, a monitor in place uh, that was assigned. Of course, the monitor is the same as the receiver who was trying to kill the company, but that's the monitor now that everything has to go through to make sure that they abide by the injunction. Um, and uh, so even though they're technically back in business and they're shipping product, they um, pretty much can't get practically anything approved now because the people that essentially want them dead were put in charge of approving everything. So, uh, so that's what they're struggling with uh, right now. So that was a slightly biased version, but still accurate. There we go. And, Len, you had mentioned when you were doing your thing, one of the things that you said that probably are one of the issues that tripped them up is they were claiming they had 70% like customers, and, you know, they were really staking their whole thing on like most of our businesses by customers, and 70% was a number that they kind of really built something upon. That got, the, that got them away from the noose on the hanging, but then the ankle brace, using your term, was when the – judge basically said, well, if 70% is the number, how about you get 50% customers and we'll let you reopen up again if you can design a compensation plan with 50% customers. Is that more or less where we are at the sticking points right now based on my words and your opinion? Yeah, they, um, Dima had, no, the original order of the judge said that uh, the majority of compensation, and this is going to be very key, the majority of compensation be derived from sales to outside customers, not to other affiliates. Um, and now uh, the FTC continues to say that that was based on a majority of volume, and they want everything to be based on volume. So um, kind of jumping ahead here to what just happened recently with them trying to get their uh, new compensation plan approved, but uh, for some reason apparently the judge has forgotten that he said the majority of, of compensation, and now is agreeing with the FTC that it should be the majority of volume. But ultimately, they, they did have to, for example, you can't personally buy the product now to qualify for your own qualifications. And, um, you know, there's other kind of restrictions like that. There's no more $600 packs that you can buy up front and things uh, uh, like that. But, um, 
which again, by the way, if someone's going to take the business serious and they buy a lot of training material and sales aids and inventory up front because they actually want to sell it, so by disallowing them to do that actually harms their chances of success in the business if they want to do it legitimately. But that's one of the what I call unintended consequences that people who don't know anything about MLM end up inadvertently doing when they try to create compensation plans and rules for MLM companies when they don't understand the space. But uh, there's a long list of these kind of unintended consequences that we can get into about what they're doing and what the repercussions would be and how professional comp plan designers, for example, would have recognized these things and maybe help the FTC and the judge kind of, you know, avoid all these minefields. But instead, they're essentially recommending that VEMA do things that potentially and very likely will be more harmful and create completely the wrong incentives and motivations that they're intending to do because they, they just simply don't understand the space. But that was, that was just one example. But, yeah, there are these injunctions that they've got to operate under, uh, pretty strict restrictions about basically who buys the product and who gets compensated and who, whose volume qualifies as far as um, being eligible for commissions. There we go. Okay, so there's a little bit of backdrop. We don't have Kevin Grimes on the uh, radio show often, and I know sometimes uh, lawyers or attorneys have certain things they're not allowed to talk about. So, Kevin, are you allowed to give us any kind of uh, your opinion or anything on what's happened with VEMA and some of the things that the industry has to watch out for? Yeah, I can I can definitely talk about uh you know kind of things from the 35,000 foot per perspective and certainly uh you know things that are relative to the industry overall. Okay, so give a whack at it. Whatever part you want to jump in on, we're all ears. Okay. Well, I think um you know I certainly agree with a lot of Len's comments. Um you know, something that I I think those of us in the industry often maybe aren't mindful of is the fact that, you know, th this is a federal judge. This is not somebody who is an expert on MLM law. Uh, this, I'm sure this is probably the first time he's ever seen anything remotely close to it. And, uh, you know, to think that we, you know, are going to get particularly erudite, um, uh, you know, decisions, uh, you know, certainly we, we, we hope they'll comport with the law. But, uh, you know, t again, to think that we're going to get a lot of analysis, especially in a situation like this where you've got, uh, you know, a, a TRO um, situation where things have to happen very, very, very quickly. Um, you know, the, I mean, the court, uh, you know, has to balance uh, just time constraints with, you know, hopefully rendering a, a just decision. So, uh, again, it, it really is kind of a... a, a Salamic or you know Solomon type situation. Um, you know its most recent order that it cranked out last Thursday regarding the compensation plan, which it, it denied Vima's motion for approval of the compensation plan, is interesting. Uh, you know when I read it the first time, I mean it's it's only four page, well three and a half pages long, really about three pages of text. And uh, you get through the first couple of pages, and it's just like oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I understand uh, where where the court is coming from. Uh, it's it's certainly very clear that it relied or was persuaded a lot by the FTC's position, and particularly uh, the FTC's expert witness, I believe, uh, Dr. Bosley. Uh, but but the, the bottom line is, you know, the court concluded, hey, this, you know, Vima's proposed changes or, you know, revised compensation plan just doesn't get the job done, doesn't go far enough. 
to incentivize sales to customers. And it's it's interesting that you know that that issue has raised its head. I, I think you know one of the weaknesses of the proposed compensation plan was you know who's what, you know who, who's who's a distributor, who's a customer. Um, the, the court cited and Dr. Bosley teed off on the definitions as you know a distributor or participant as being defined as one who intends to participate and earn rewards under VEMA's marketing plan. And a customer is defined as someone who's interested in purchasing and using VEMA products. Uh, if, if that's the extent of the definitions, I think those definitions are very, very weak. I don't think those definitions did VEMA any favors. Um, you know, we've got language from the Burn Lounge case, the you know the Ninth Circuit's opinion last year, as well as the infamous you know Webster versus Omnitrition decision, and and they definitely speak in terms of having two absolutely discrete categories of players, you know, participants, you know, irrespective of whether you call them distributors, affiliates, associates, whatever, on the one hand, uh, and customers on the other hand, and, and, and there is no overlap. You know, my concern, again, just given these definitions, is that, you know, who's a distributor and who's a customer is a proverbial moving target. I think that's certainly problematic. Also, it seems like um, that, uh, you know, well, it was interesting, too, because on the last page and in its conclusion, the court made a comment that uh, the FTC suggested that the court require VEMA to be to, to pay compensation only to an affiliate whose entire organization's sales to customers were at least 51% of the total sales for the organization. Um, well, and, and again, something I think that's been true since the Omnitrition decision uh, and and some you know something that I've been you know maybe a little preachy about is what I I, I consider to be the biggest secret in MLM and uh, you know everybody might want to lean in closely to hear this and that is customers are good for business um, and again you know in in my universe in the regulatory universe uh, when I use that term I mean I mean a term that's mutually exclusive with with being a distributor we love distributors. Uh, it's just that we love customers more. Uh, and then, you know, and, and the Omnitrition Court talked about that, you know, I mean, I, I think Omnitrition was very, very poorly reasoned in a lot of ways, but it is what it is. And, um, you know, the court said that, you know, in our opinion, a multi-level compensation plan inherently rewards distributor recruiting. What, when you translate that, what the court is saying is a multi-level compensation plan is inherently a pyramid. That's what that's what that, that that particular court was saying. So it went on to say the only way to legitimize one, in our opinion, is by tying the distributor's receipt of compensation to sales to customers. And that's arguably, you know, certainly what VEMA attempted to do. But again, in, in the uh, opinion of uh, Judge Tucci, uh, it, it didn't go far enough. Well, so, you know, where does that leave the industry? Uh, well, he he talks about Amway, uh, and you know everybody on this call certainly knows what the the Amway safeguards or safe harbors are. Uh, does that mean that we're back to Amway? Does that mean that uh, you know even if a company has 51% of its sales uh, coming from customers, that it that may not be enough uh, to save it from you know some type of a regulatory enforcement action? Uh, good good question. But the court also you know commented that. Uh, that the revised compensation plan simply did not do enough or go far enough with respect to preventing, you know, the mother of all evils, namely bonus buying and, and inventory loading, and uh, and so, uh, you know, how how can we do that? 
I, I think we have to do that by materially and significantly incentivizing sales to customers. And, you know, in my opinion, there are very, very, very few compensation plans that do that. Okay. So what do you think about the challenges that Veeam is going to have moving forward with trying to get a compensation plan to stick? Or is this just one of those things where they're going to try to drag it out, and by the time they're done, maybe there's no more Vima? Well, I, I, I think they've been making some moves in the right direction. I mean, I, I certainly uh, you know, haven't been following every, every move that the company has been making. I know, or at least uh, I'm of the uh, understanding, and Lynn or Mel can certainly correct me if I'm, if I'm mistaken, that uh, Vima lowered, uh, lowered its prices on its products. Um, I, th- I think that's a fantastic move uh, because, you know, the bottom line is real customers are only going to purchase products for one reason, namely their intrinsic value. If the value is poor, they're not going to buy. Obviously, you know, when a company lowers its product, the, the, the price, you know, to the extent that the, uh, you know, benefits and qualities, quality of the product remains the same, the value increases. So, you know, increased product value naturally uh, has a greater tendency to attract and uh, retain customers. Uh, so, you know, that's that's certainly a move in, in the right direction. But again, I think, you know, tying the distributor's receipt of compensation at the individual level and also at the organizational level are going to be very, very important. And, the, you know, the FTC is certainly pushing that uh, position, and the court seems to be inclined to, you know, to, to move in that direction as well. Got it. Does anybody else have any questions they want to ask Kevin about the Vima case? What's their next plan? What's their next plan of action for Vima? I have no idea. I mean, I'm you know not counsel to Vima. I, I suspect, uh, obviously, it's mission critical that they get a compensation plan that that the judge is going to approve. So my my suspicion is they are working uh, fast and furious to develop a compensation plan. Uh, that, that's, that's going to make the judge happy, um, and I just, I, you know, my hope is that they're getting some good counsel. Um, they've, they've got a, they've got a great law firm in Phoenix they're working with. Uh, my, my hope is they've got, you know, some great counsel on the comp plan design side to help them, uh, you know, get over this hump with the judge. Kevin, can I ask a question? Yes, ma'am. Um, in your opinion, I realize that in some of the um, documents that came out of the courts that the the issues against Vima from the FTC were stated that these issues were exclusively for Vima, Mm -hmm. but I have a major concern that it's going to somehow erode into many other companies out there. Are you experiencing many companies that are suddenly taking a look at what the plans and the programs that they've got? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, yes, we are seeing companies wanting, uh, you know, folks to take a, a good hard look at their program to make sure they're not misstepping. I've done that for some clients and, and you know, and found some very, very similar uh, components in their compensation plan and some very, very similar fact patterns. But to be candid, Carol, uh, my concern is the vast majority of companies are not doing that. Yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking. 
there, there's, there just seems to be, you know, an, an ostrich with its head in the sand approach to this. And while you're, you're exactly right, you know, we are hearing that verbiage from the FTC. The fact of the matter is, you know, in the United States, unlike Canada, we don't have a federal anti-pyramiding statute. And so what a pyramid is, is defined exclusively by case law. And so... Case, federal cases absolutely, positively do impact the entire industry and every single company. So, is that what this will be? This this is a federal case, yeah. And you know, and the, and you know, uh, re- regardless of what the outcome is, I mean, if if FEMA prevails, we'll probably see the FTC appeal. If the FTC prevails, I'm sure we'll see FEMA appeal. And again, you know, we're, we'll get another U- U.S. Court of Appeals decision out there to join the ranks of burn lounge and, and omnitrition and again that, that's all case law which is to say it is the body of federal law regarding pyramids so if the ruling is that 50 percent or more of what are they going to say your volume your compensation your sales are mm-hmm. going to come from outside customers mm-hmm. what percentage of the companies that are in existing today would be compliant. Yeah, um, and you know, my, my yeah, my well, f- first of all, it it depends how we define a customer, and uh, you know, a, a lot of companies are touting very very high percentages of sales to customers, but but you know, honestly, we have to drill down a little bit deeper. And uh, I, I have two very large dogs. The, the specific breed is an Akita. Uh, if you want to call my Akitas Siamese cats, you can do so, but they will never be Siamese cats, and, and calling them that won't, won't make them so. And so, you know, I mean, who, again, you know, in the scientific community says they're Canis familiaris. Uh, with respect to who's a customer, who's a distributor, again, you know, we've, we've got a you know, ultimately, the, the the courts and legislative bodies are kind of the ultimate arbiters of that. And I think, as an industry, it's important that you know that we we kind of line up our definitions uh, and our compensation plans with with their realities. And so, um, you know, I, I think I think it's becoming very very clear that you know who regulators and courts are going to consider to be customers and who they're going to be cons- or consider to be distributors is is become. Oh, go ahead, Doris. Kevin, you know, we know that many, many distributors join a company in order to get the product, which they happen to really like, at a mm-hmm. discount. Mm-hmm. And yep. they do not recruit. Now, yep. if they join the company and do not recruit, can't they be counted as customers? Uh, great, co- great question. Uh, you know, the FTC has, has addressed that, and their position is absolutely not. Uh, you know, that was an issue in the Burn Lounge case. I think I think that might have been an issue in the Trek Alliance case. Their position is if somebody executes, they, they sign a distributor agreement, we're going to count them as distributor. They've obviously evidenced their intent to be a distributor, despite the fact that factually they've never done anything. And didn't want to. Do yeah, and 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 I guess my response to that too would be, you know, my impression is, you know, I, I used to poll my clients, and uh, you know, and I and I ask, I mean, you know, what what percentage of folks are actually doing something, and versus the ones who aren't, and, and the reality in this industry is that, 
you know, about 70 to 80% of the people who sign up as distributors don't build businesses. You're exactly right. They really want to be wholesale customers. They want to purchase the product at the lowest possible price. And my response is, why do companies, you know, shoehorn people into that category when by their behaviors they're telling us they don't want to be in that category and when it you know, is arguably tantamount to you know, shooting yourself in the foot from a regulatory perspective, why don't we put them in that separate category of player called a customer? And, uh, and for our best customers, like customers who are willing to uh, pony up for an auto ship, give them the best price. Give them the distributor price because if you don't, then I would say you know, a company's arguably cutting the legs out from underneath its distributors with respect to customer acquisition. You know, Kevin, that, that brings me around to a point that I've been saying for years, which is we need to not have a disparity of pricing. Now, yep. some people, the proponents of the disparity, say, well, what about the wholesale retail thing? And, and so I think you, you make a good point here, but what I'd like to, to bring that around to is the fact that you can still, quote-unquote, have a retail customer paying the same price as a distributor when the company is the actual distributor. When the, when the, when the quote-unquote distributors not buying at wholesale, turning around and selling at retail, which is what you know, the bulk of the industry today does not have distributors per se. They have marketers or indif- independent uh, you know, uh, marketing. 